Welcome to Ridgepoint Church. It's so good to have you guys with us today. If you are first time at Ridgepoint Church, maybe it's your first time in a long time, we welcome you and we thank you so much for coming to worship God with us. And I'm so thankful that we get that honor every single time that we get to come together. We count it an honor and a blessing. And I'm going to jump right in. We're in this series called What? Um, uh, what? I'm sorry. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that. We're talking, to, taking a deeper look at the red words in the Bible, the words written in red, and those are the, in the Gospels. And if, you, if you're, you, know, you don't look at your Bible a lot, maybe you don't have a Bible yet, uh, in the four Gospels, some Bibles have words with, written in red. And in those words are the words of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, these things that we're talking about over the next couple of weeks and what we talked about last week uh, are things that Jesus didn't say. These are things that Jesus didn't say. And today we're going to take a good hard look at what Jesus didn't say about happiness. Okay? About happiness. This is one that I think that we can all relate to, right? How many times in our lives have folks just, want, just came to us and said, you know, do whatever makes you happy. Follow your heart. Do whatever makes you happy, right? Just for fun, let's take a look at a few things that Jesus didn't say this morning. Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and preach whatever makes you happy. Right? He didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, whoever wants to be my disciple must affirm themselves, avoid the cross, and follow their own hearts. Did Jesus say that? I can't hear you this morning. you got to interact with me today, okay? Jesus didn't say that. And Jesus also didn't say, ask and it will be given to you because God is your magic genie in a bottle ready to answer your every wish. He didn't say that either, right? Jesus definitely didn't say those things about your happiness. And this is one, listen, I promise, culture today is telling us all, do whatever makes you happy. Whatever makes you happy, do it because that's what's most important. Today we're going to take a look at the Gospel of John. We'll begin in chapter 8. This is a relatively long story, um, but it's so powerful and applicable to every single one of us today. I used this story a few months back in a sermon uh, that I did, and I haven't been able to get this story off my mind. We're going to start in verse 2. If you have your phone with you, you can open up your phone, open up the Bible app if you have that downloaded on your phone. Go to the menu, click on events, and then go to Ridgepoint Church. You'll find Ridgepoint Church, and you can follow along with the notes um, on the Bible app on your phone. We're going to look at verse 2. The Bible says this. This is Jesus. It says, At the dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. So, visualize this just for a moment. We're going to pause, and I want you to visualize this. Jesus is out in the center of the town, and he's sitting down with his disciples, and he's getting ready to teach them. And in walks these hypocritical men with this woman caught in adultery. They drag her out, and, and literally drag her out into the middle of town because she's been caught in adultery. And the first question that I have the very first question that I have to ask is, where's the man that she was caught with? Like, why didn't they drag him out in the middle of town? Like, it's so hypocritical in my opinion. But these men really, they could care less about this woman. They could care less about the adultery, to be honest with you. What they were doing is they were trying to 
catch Jesus up in something that they could use against him. And that's very obvious as we continue on with the scriptures. In verse 5, the Bible says, They made her, talking about the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman. That means to take her out outside of town and literally pick up big rocks and throw them at her until she is dead. Crazy, isn't it? Teacher, we've caught this woman in adultery and the law of Moses tells us that we have to stone her to death. Now, now the Pharisees are saying, what do you say, Jesus? They want to catch him up in something. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. They put Jesus in a seemingly no-win situation, right? That's what they were attempting to do, to put him in a situation. According to the law of Moses, she should be stoned to death, right? But if Jesus agrees, yes, she should be stoned to death, then he loses his reputation for being loving and full of grace, right? But if he, on the other hand, says it's no big deal, we're going to make an exception just for this woman, then he's breaking the law of Moses and therefore apparently condoning the act of adultery. And in their eyes, it's a no-win situation for Jesus. But how many of you know that Jesus always has a way out? Amen? He always has a way out. And then he does something absolutely astonishing to the folks standing there watching in verse Six, second half of the verse, it says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, this is just, this was not what they were expecting. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law put Jesus in this situation where they thought he was going to have to make one of two decisions. And either way, they had something to, to use against him. You're going to obviously ask the question, what in the world did he write on the ground, right? He took his finger, he started writing on the ground. I'm not going to go into the whole spill, but there's some pretty convincing argument, compelling arguments out there that say that Jesus began to write the sins of the woman's accusers in the sand. It's pretty convincing and compelling arguments. I could go into the Greek and start talking about what it means, you know, what happened when Jesus, the Bible says that he wrote on the ground. I could start doing that, but I'm not going to do all that this morning. But I just want you to know that there's pretty compelling arguments saying that he's writing the sins of her accusers. Now, the Bible goes on in verse 7 to say, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. They weren't expecting that either, right? They were not expecting that. Now, how easy is it for you and I to see the sins of others but overlook the sins of our own? It's easy, isn't it? It's really easy for us to get on social media and start calling out other people for the things that we think that they're doing wrong while not even acknowledging the things that we're doing wrong. I think, this is just my opinion, I think that's a big reason why people don't want to go to church today. I just think that's true. I think that's a, the reason 90% of the people in Floyd County don't attend church. I think one of the biggest reasons is that they see so many of us Christians who claim to know Jesus on social media pointing out everyone's sins but our own. They call us hypocrites. But the Bible goes on to say this in verse 8. 
Again, Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, this time, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was the only one left with the woman still standing there. I've always wondered, why did the older ones leave first? Probably because they didn't want to, they knew they'd been on this walk for quite a while. They knew they didn't want anybody to know about their sins, right? Skeletons in their closet are really big. But Jesus straightened up and he asked the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then Jesus said some of the most grace-filled, loving words in Scripture. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And then he goes on to say, go now and leave your life of sin. Listen, Jesus didn't say, go now and do whatever makes you happy, woman. He didn't say that. He didn't say, go now and follow your heart, ma'am. He didn't say, it doesn't say, it doesn't, he didn't say, it doesn't matter what you do. It just doesn't matter what you do. You do you. Do whatever makes you happy. He didn't say that. Jesus actually said, go now and leave your life of sin. This wasn't a condemning, judgmental statement. I hope that you don't hear it that way in your head when you kind of recite these words back to yourself. This was a statement full of love and full of grace. Jesus is basically saying, don't wait. You've been freed. Go now and leave all that junk that's been tying you down. Things that have made you feel so shameful. Things that have made you feel terrible about yourself. Go now. You are forgiven. Go now and leave all of that junk behind. You're no longer held hostage to this sin. Go and walk in truth. Why is it? Why is it that so many of us give in to temptation so often? Why is it? And I'm talking about myself as well. Why is it that we give in to temptation so often? Why is that? Well, here's the, the real clear and simple answer. Because sin is fun. Right? Because it's appealing to us. The answer is it looks appealing. It looks fun. It looks really good on the outside. Sin always looks good on the outside. Hebrews calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's pleasurable for a while. Whatever your sin is, it's pleasurable for a while. Sin can be fun for a while. But listen, it will cost you so much more than you're willing to pay in the end. Sin looks really good on the outside. But it's going to cost you so much more than you're willing to pay. What does temptation and sin do? Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of of disobedience to God and eventually pain to you. Let me say that again. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and eventually pain to you. Do you have that one friend in your life right now? You're probably thinking of them right now. Do you have that one friend that's always telling you, just follow your heart? Just follow your heart. Do whatever. Do whatever makes you happy. You're, you're not meant to live like this. Do whatever makes you happy. You're in the middle of a difficult situation in your life and you have a big decision to make. And that one friend just keeps saying, just, just follow your heart. You'll make it. Just follow your heart. 
Maybe you've given that advice before. Maybe you've given that advice. We live in a very relativistic culture. A very relativistic culture. Relativism is the belief that everything is relative. In other words, there is no absolute truth. Right? That's what relativism is. You'll hear this all the time in our culture today. Well, maybe that's true for you, but that's not true for me. You live your truth, brother, and I'll live my truth. Right? Have you heard that before? There's no such thing as absolute truth. I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy. Have you heard that from folks before? Here's the fundamental problem with that. That idea of relativism. Without a belief in absolute truth, then truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. And when the bottom line is your happiness, then happiness becomes the standards which you judge your actions. If it makes me happy, then it must be good. If it doesn't make me happy, then it must be bad. I know everyone says this is wrong, but to me it just, it just feels so right. Do you see the problem with this? You see where I'm going? Do whatever makes you happy. Truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. I had a conversation with someone the other day and they said this. They sent me a message and they said... I know that God says homosexuality is a sin. I know God says abortion is a sin. I know God says that divorce, that we shouldn't divorce. I know that God says all these things are wrong, but you know, I don't think they are. And at first, I was very taken aback by this. But the, the, the statement was, I just don't think they are. And as the conversation went on, I, I, I dove a little deeper and I asked the person, what is sin and who defines sin? Very simple question. What is sin and who defines it? Basically, folks, you and I don't get, you and I do not get to decide what is sin. <laughs> That's not on us. Thank God. You and I do not get to decide what is sin and what's not sin. As we talked a little longer, it was very obvious to me, and they finally came out and told me that they had been struggling with same-sex attraction. But it felt so right to them. How could God say this is wrong? It feels so right. If it makes me happy, how can it be wrong? Even if we don't say it aloud, many of us believe this is true. Even if we don't say it, many of us believe it's true. So we follow our hearts and we dive into temptation after temptation after temptation. And in the end, we're left with nothing but heartache, pain, feelings of shame, and a wide path of destruction behind us. That's what happens. What's the root cause of this problem? What is the foundational problem that we're dealing with? The problem for many of us is that we think happiness and holiness are, two, uh, are, are at odds with each other. We think that happiness and holiness are at odds with each other. Deep down, likely because we have a distorted view of, of who Jesus is and what Christ represents and what He came to do on earth. We tend to think that we have to choose one, happiness or holiness. We think that we have to choose. We think that we have to choose holiness. If we do choose holiness, that we're, we're destined to be miserable for the rest of our lives. Do you know that's what an unbelieving world out there thinks? If I come into the church, I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. It's just terrible. 
You know, when I was younger, I felt God calling me at a very young age into ministry. I, I knew, I mean, I just knew it in, in the depths of my being. I knew that God was calling me into ministry. But as I got a little older, I ran from God. Why? Check this out. I ran from God because I knew if I didn't live it up now, once I answered the call, I wouldn't be able to live it up anymore. How crazy is that? That's crazy, isn't it? Because when I answer that call, all the fun's over. It's all over now. I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. You know, I've even had parents. I've even had parents try to, to convince their children not to go to church and not to be saved and not to follow the Lord in baptism because they're afraid they might not experience certain things in life as they get older. Let me just tell you real quick, that's hogwash. That's hogwash. I'm telling you, it's true. It's happening right now. I just counseled someone whose parents, and they're older, whose parents are trying to convince them not to become a Christian because they can't live the life. Like, come on. How do we have such a distorted view of Jesus Christ and His redemptive work? How is that even possible? It's crazy. We have this idea that if I follow Jesus, then I'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life. Our God is not in heaven looking down on us saying, for God so loved the world that He wants us all to be holy and miserable. That's not true. It's just not true. God didn't say that. He is such a good and loving Father. He does good for us. He gives us good gifts and good things. In fact, Jesus said this about God and what God wants for us. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, He says, If then you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? I'm getting tongue-tied this morning. Passionate about this. How many of you like to spoil your children? How many? Seriously. How many of y'all like to spoil your grandchildren? That's a bigger number, right? We love it. You all love it. I get it. My mom lets my kids do absolutely anything they want to do in her house. If I would have done those things, she would have smacked me right in the mouth multiple times. I mean, it's crazy to me what she lets my kids away with. We love to spoil our kids and our grandkids. If you find yourself in a place where you're saying, I want to be holy, I want to be holy, but I don't want to be unhappy, then the problem is you're looking for happiness in the wrong places. If you come to this point in life where you're thinking, I want to be holy, but I don't want to be unhappy, you're probably looking for happiness in the wrong places. Author and speaker Max Lucado, which many of you know, have read some of his work. He asked a simple question. He asked a question, would a fish ever be happy on the beach? Would a fish ever be happy on the beach? Well, the simple, simple answer is no. Can you just, I mean, you've probably seen this before. Fish out of water, just flopping, you know, back and forth, dying, slow, a slow, painful death, because they just cannot breathe regular fresh air, right? So it's not, you know, it's not going to happen. A fish could never be happy on sand or on the beach. But imagine just for a moment, imagine that we give that little fish $100,000 in cold, hard, tax-free cash. Just imagine for a moment we give that little fish $100,000. You think that would make the fish happy? No. 
He's still going to be he's still going to be trying to breathe. And you can just picture him flopping all over the beach. Suppose we give the little fishy a Corona and a Playfish magazine. Is that going to make him happy? Right? Is it going to make him happy? No, it's not going to make him happy. He's still going to be flopping, dying on the beach. No matter what... It was funny. I'm glad you laughed. Thank you. No matter what you give the fish on the beach, it will not satisfy him, right? No matter what you give that fish on the beach, it will not satisfy him. There's nothing that can make this fish happy on the beach. Why? Because the fish wasn't made for the beach. Let that sink in for a moment. The sand is not his home. Anything apart from water will leave him wanting for a place for which he was created for. Guys, the same is true for us. We're not happy with the things of this world because we were not created for the things of this world. We're strangers and aliens in a foreign land here on earth. We're made, we're made to dwell forever in heaven with God. We'll never discover lasting happiness in this temporary things of this world because we weren't made to live in this world. That's why we should lower our expectations of this place in which we live. Earth is not heaven. It was never meant to be. That's why no amount of money, no new house, no new living room suit if you can find it these days, no kitchen appliances, no clothes, new hair, new baby, new vacation, new boyfriend, new girlfriend, new wife, new husband. None of that will ever satisfy us because we are not made for the things of this world. You were created by God for God to live for things that are not of this world. And that, my friends... And that is why sin promises, but can never deliver. I hope you hear me this morning. That's why sin promises so much, but doesn't deliver. It promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. And eventually pain for you. So what do you need to understand today? This is so important. So, so important. Holiness isn't mutually exclusive to happiness. In fact, they're very, very closely related. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today, holiness is the pathway to true happiness and joy. Holiness is the pathway to true happiness and joy. Serving God living for Him and not living for the things of this world that only provide a short-lived happiness, but living for the things of God and, and, and doing what He has called us to do in this world is the pathway to true meaning and happiness in life. I love the way that David puts it in, in Psalm 16, verse 11. It says this, You will make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. David is saying something that you and I, we need to embrace today. You and I need to embrace this so much. 
David is worshiping God. And he's penned this psalm. The song of praise to God. In your presence, God, in your presence, and your presence alone is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy is only in His presence. And that's why when the woman who was caught in adultery, although she was guilty, sure, absolutely she was guilty. And this was probably the most shame-filled part of her entire life caught in adultery, drug out in the middle of the town square. But Jesus didn't look at her and say, woman, I'm embarrassed by you. I'm embarrassed by you. After all I've done for you, this is how you repay me? Like, how could you do this? This is the way you choose to live your life? You're pathetic. I'm so embarrassed by you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I'm thinking that likely some of you have thought Jesus is saying that to you before. Some of you probably, maybe it's not adultery, maybe it's some other sin. Some of you have probably heard a voice in your head saying that Jesus thinks you're pathetic before. But guess what? Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say that to this woman that had been caught in adultery. You know what he did say? You know what Jesus did say? He said, there's something so much better, woman. There is something so much better for you. Be free. Go walk in truth. Hurry. Because you're no longer bound by these chains. You're no longer bound by this sin. Go. I have prepared something so much better for you. I have something so much better for you. These things of this world, they're never going to make you happy. They're never going to fulfill you. You're never going to find meaning and, and happiness in this world. But you will find true meaning and happiness and joy when you start living for the things of God. He says, go, hurry. I want you to have what I've prepared for you. You're probably saying right now, Pastor, I know you're right. I get it as the worship folks come. You're probably saying, Pastor, I know, I know you're right. I know it's true. But I can't stop, Pastor. I just can't stop. I, I continually just fall into temptation time and time again. Like, why do I keep doing this? I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to be real with you. We, we live real at Rich Point Church. We don't pretend to be someone that we're not. I'm, I, as your pastor, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm sin free because I'm not. And it would be terrible for me to lead you to believe that I don't sin. Temptation is real. Sin is real. And we all fall into sin. You, you're probably saying, well, I don't drink. I don't, I don't drink. I don't do pills. I'm not having an affair on my wife or my husband. Those are the big ones, right? I don't watch pornography. Well, were you gossiping yesterday? Do you have pride in your heart because you're so good? Are you wanting something that someone else has? Guys, the Bible tells you 
if you if you sin one time, you're guilty of all the sins. Like, like we all fall into temptation time and time again. And I don't know about you, but every time I fall into temptation and I do something that I know is wrong, I'm left beating myself up over and over and over. How could you do that? Like I'm at a point now to where I know God loves me. I know He does. I know God loves me and I know He's already forgiven me for what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know He has. I believe that's Scripture. I believe He's already forgiven me for everything I've done and everything I'm ever going to do. I know He has. That's the truth of the Word of, of God. But you know why? I just get so shameful and so hurt and angry at myself when I fall into sin. Why? Because I believe it hurts the heart of God. I believe it hurts the heart of God when I fall into temptation. I want to please Him, guys. I want to please the Lord. Why? Because you know what? He has been so good to me, and I don't deserve any of it. And when someone's good to you, you want to do right by them. Not to earn their favor, but because they care about you. And that's how I feel about the Lord. So when I fall into sin, man, I beat myself up. I beat myself up for days. And that's what sin does. You fall into temptation. You're probably saying today, I, I want to do good. I want to do right. But I just can't stop. Maybe you're looking for, for happiness in alcohol. Maybe you're looking for happiness in pills. Or maybe you're looking for happiness in relationships. That's one that'll get you every time. If you need a man or a woman to fulfill you, you're looking for happiness in the wrong place. No one in this world has the ability to truly make you happy. So stop. Stop trying. Stop trying. Maybe you're looking for God. I'm sorry. Maybe you're looking for happiness, relationships. Maybe it's through your likes, comments on social media. If I can just get enough likes on social media. Posted a really cool picture of me and my kids. And if I could just get enough people to like it, man, I'm going to be so happy. Maybe it's through overspending. If I could just get that Amazon box next week, it's going to make me so happy. I hit a nerve, didn't I? I feel it. I feel it. Some of you are stuck in lustful prison of pornography. I can just, I can just watch pornography for a little while longer it's going to make me happy what do you do when you know it's not best for you but you just keep doing it anyway you know it's not good you know it's not right you know it's not the Lord but you just keep doing it anyway you know what sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God and pain to you let me tell you about the faithfulness and the goodness, the love and the grace of God that's available to those of you that call Him Father. Paul says it like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and God is faithful. Amen? 
God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This, this scripture is taken out of context so much. But here's what it means. When you're tempted, when you're trapped, when you're stuck, and when you feel like that you're in a prison that you just can't get out of, there's no way out. When you're tempted and you feel stuck, God will always, always provide a way out. There is always a way out of that temptation. Always. But pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand. I was in a group of all these people and they were, they were pushing me and they were wanting me to do this and, and I just had to. I just didn't have a way out. No, that's not what the Bible says. The truth of the word of God says he will always provide you a way out. Every time. Every time. There's always grace. There's always potential for freedom. He always gives you a way out. So what do you do when you're tempted? Here's the truth today. Every temptation is an invitation for you to depend on God. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every time every temptation every time when you feel trapped and when you feel like you're caught in the act and when you, you feel broken and you feel ashamed and Jesus doesn't say that wasn't good now go and do whatever makes you happy because my whole thing is I want you to be happy Jesus doesn't say that Jesus does say you know what I have a better path for you Guess what? I have true happiness in me that the world can't offer. I have joy in me that the world doesn't have. And guess what? You were created for heaven. You were created for God. So you'll never find your happiness in this world. Jesus says, come to me and be free. You were created for me. That hole in your heart that you're trying to fill, that you want to find happiness, that hole inside of you that you're trying to fill, that void that you're trying to stuff in relationships and husbands and wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and pills and alcohol and porn and anything else. You know that void inside of you, no one will ever fill that but me. No one will ever fill that void but me. My path leads to true happiness. So my challenge today is very simple. Very simple. I want you to evaluate over the next seven days. Evaluate where you're looking for happiness. Just evaluate your life. Take a moment, pray, and ask God to show you. Where am I looking for true happiness in my life? If it's anything other than Jesus, ask God to change your focus. Simple. If you're looking for happiness in someone or something other than Jesus, ask Him to change your focus. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you today and I just thank you for this, this opportunity to speak truth, to speak love today, to speak your words, things that you did say 
Help us follow you, God. Help us look to you for our happiness and our joy. May it all be found in you. May we be complete in you, Father. If there's anyone here today or listening online that doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray today is the day that they give their lives to you and they're able to find true happiness and freedom in you. Love you and thank you for Jesus, your Son and our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?